Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Back to a Celtic state of minds. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Natasha Miko and Lawrence Conley for another Axon Bulletin. Welcome back to the show, guys. How are you doing? Okay. Pregnant pause, pregnant pause, <laughs> all good. That's what we like to hear. Natasha, I'll come over to you first. It's been a long time coming, but today is the day it's finally arrived. Uh, JP's been counting it down for 120 days. It's the first competitive game. How are you feeling? How prepared or ill-prepared are we here? 
Do you know what? If we're taking it in two parts, I am delighted to be getting back to Celtic Park tonight. I am so excited about that. I loved seeing everyone or a lot of people getting back for for the Preston game. I love seeing people back in the stadium. I love seeing the excitement of fans getting back to a competitive to a football game. Um, so from this aspect, that I'm getting a ticket to go tonight. I'm so excited to be there. So excited to be home again, Celtic Park in the sunshine. You really can't do better than that. But now we've got to talk about what we're going to see on the pitch and the prospects of um, success. Mm. And that gives me a little bit more cause for concern and maybe slightly dampens my enthusiasm for, for returning to the ground. I mean, I have to say I'm a bit concerned. I think we're we're all a bit concerned in terms of of what we're going to see on the pitch. I don't think we have the strength, the depth, the quality in the squad that we need to overcome such a, a tough test. And the game against Preston at the weekend did nothing to alleviate those concerns in any way. I think we are going into this game underprepared and it's frustrating to say that because we say it every time the Champions League qualifiers roll around. So to answer your, your original question, yes, I think we are underprepared for this game and the sense that I get from Postacoglu is that he knows we're underprepared he's mentioned you know not being able to get signings in he's mentioned the fitness levels so he also shares the fans frustrations that we are going into this game underprepared and it's just that real sense of annoyance that we have had a good amount of time we've known this is coming we knew the size of the task we knew the size of the rebuild and here we are in July today we're playing the first qualifier and we're underprepared. I know. I was going to ask you later on in the show, do you know anybody who's going to the game? But you've already answered that, Natasha. So before I go on to Lawrence, <laughs> let's focus a wee bit on that. Uh, your first game, no, I tell a lie, you were at a game last last season um, reporting <laughs> for a Celtic State of Mind. You were at Easter Road reporting for a Celtic State That's of Mind. Right. Um, but as a fan, simply as a fan, mm-hmm. to go and enjoy the game, this is your first game, I'm guessing, since March against yeah. St Mirren. Um, yeah, now, one of the players who scored a hat-trick that day or that night, we will be talking about him later on, Lee Griffiths. Um, but we're looking at the situation with the fans. We've got 9,000 in tonight. Mm. Ange Postacoglu touched on their importance this evening, as did Callum McGregor yesterday when they were speaking to the press. Yet, uh, we're hearing uh, other figures coming out in terms of um, confirmed figures for other games in Glasgow. I'm going to go to Lawrence on this one, Natasha. What's your thoughts on the disparity, Lawrence Conley, when you look at Ibrox and some of the, the figures we're getting from there? Well, you, you know, we've, we've heard of 17,000. I mean, there's already a perception after last season that we've got a Scottish government that's treating Celtic differently. On the face of it, it would appear they're doing the same. Uh, you know, there's four days difference. Celtic Park's the bigger arena, bigger and better arena. And we've got 9,000, but yeah, on the south side, they can have 17 if the figures are to be believed. Yeah. It, on the face of it, it seems manifestly unfair. Well, it just doesn't add up. I mean, one person who has been speaking up about it, and it wasn't um, because of today's announcement, he was he was referring to the gates at Hamden, for example, Natasha's Chris Sutton. Uh, Chris mm. shoots from the hip, I think, so does Ange Postacoglu. We might talk about that later mm. on in the show, uh, and I'm liking that. I actually do like his approach, because it's mm-hmm. controlled. It's a totally controlled approach, unlike uh, the previous manager, who seemed unhinged when he was being spoken to by the, the press. But Chris Sutton has raised raised the point, where where 
are they getting the figures from? Is there something I'm missing here, Natasha? There doesn't seem to be any formula to this. Do you know what it is? It's just the lack of transparency. If there is a reason, then great, come out and tell us and help us understand that. Otherwise, you just create this discussion and debate about why these figures are so different. All they need to do is be transparent, come out and tell us whatever formula they're using, whatever method of calculating how many fans can get into a ground. Come out and tell us that and help us understand to, to save this debate and to save the questioning over why there are discrepancies. All I can hope is that, you know, if these are the figures being talked about across the city, that they are then replicated for our games going forward. But there really just seems to be so much of, you know, the process that doesn't add up and doesn't make sense. So it is frustrating. You know, you even look at what Celtic have been allowed, our our 9,000 season ticket or 9,000 people were allowed back into the stadium. Mm -hmm. The distancing that they're having to put in place... Again, you know, you struggle to add that up. There's people who live together, they're in the same household, in the same network, aren't allowed to sit together. You know, they're getting placed five rows apart. Some are getting placed sections apart when they're going to have shared a car or shared a bus or shared a train to, to get to the ground. There's so many elements of the rules that Celtic have had to put in place that don't seem to naturally make sense. So, again, we're just asking for a bit of transparency about why that is. But the key the key issue is why the numbers are what they are when they're different at different stadiums across the country. You know, I was watching that game, Natasha, at the weekend there against Preston. Uh, again, the sun was shining. It was a Saturday night. Yes, I was sitting here in the studio watching and analysing the game. Um, but there was a sense that even though there was only a couple of thousand in the stadium, you could sense that there was a completely different vibe around the place, right? And, you know, when you then look at almost five times that amount at Celtic Park tonight, um, how much of a, an impact can that be positively for the Celtic team? I mean, we're in a fractured state as a fan base and as a football club at the moment. How important is it? I mean, let's focus on that just for a few moments, Natasha. I think it is important um, and I I do think for all the difficulties that we've referred to last season, the disharmony between the board and the fans, the disconnect, the lack of engagement, we've covered all that in detail. But I think it's time to put that behind us and I think the fans for the majority are willing to do that and come together to support the new manager and to support the squad that he's amalgamating. I think the fans are prepared to do that and the more we can get in the stadium to do that, the better, the more we can make our voices heard. Although I believe there's to be no shouting, no singing, no standing. I'm not sure about smiling um, or clapping. <laughs> but um, So I'm not sure how vocal we can be, but um, just the presence of fans in the stadium, to have that back, I think really is going to be a boost for the team. It's something they touched on last season is massively missing. And I think what fans, the Celtic fans, can bring to the team and bring to the stadium is that extra push. And you need that more than ever on Champions League nights and Champions League qualifiers and you especially need it when maybe the fitness levels aren't that good you know if the legs are starting to get heavy in those last 20, 15, 10 minutes the noise of the crowd or the crowd being there might be able to give you that extra push to push through that Yeah I mean it was interesting Uh, people like Barkas and Yeti had never played in front of a Celtic crowd until 
the friendly match against Preston. Um, and I do think it's going to make a, a massive difference. Uh, during the lockdown, throughout that whole process, a Celtic state of mind covered every game. Every game during that process, there was one occasion where we were unhappy at having to pay more money for the match at Petodre, so we covered the, the women's game that night with a nod to the Aberdeen game as it progressed. Um, and we'll be covering every game this season as well. I'm not quite sure what it will look like, Natasha, um, what kind of access we're going to get inside or outside the stadium, whether I'm going to have to sit here and actually do the whole studio thing um, and then dial people in from the stadium. I don't know what it looks like at the moment, but we will cover every single game. Um, Axom has massive, massive plans moving into the next few months. Natasha knows about uh, one of the big shows that's coming. We can't give too much away. Uh, we've just secured another sponsorship deal, not with an alcohol or betting company, I've got to say also. And we are running merchandise so that we can keep the content coming free charge on a daily basis. And that's a nice wee plug for this jersey over my shoulder. I've got to say, it doesn't look as good when it's not on the back of Russell Boyce, but this is... <laughs> The Axon Hoops. Um, there is another jersey coming in the next week or two, which uh, I think is going to be even more popular. So if you're interested, you can ch- check axon.net after today and all the merch will be available on there, should you wish to support the channel. So we're not asking you for money for the content, but we will have other things available to purchase, including the hoops. Uh, Lawrence, I think your order is already in for the green and white hoops top, the the Axon top. Let's start talking about the football. Uh, Callum McGregor, maybe unsurprisingly, has been named the new club captain. It was inevitable, wasn't it, that uh, Callum would be the the gaffer? He'd be the man man with the captain's armband. Yeah, I think so. There wasn't any other choice. You had Kieran Tierney in the the press during the week, the people that ran the, the dressing room were, were Bruni and Kalmak. So I think it was, it was just a natural step for Callum to come in uh, and captain. Supposed to bed the rumours that he might be leaving then. He's, he's not going to accept that. And move well, on. he was guaranteed to be leaving according to one pundit in Scotland, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, so listen, thank, thankfully he's staying because when you watch the friendlies, he's probably one of the older players that turn on Angie's instructions of... Yep take a touch, move it, take a touch, move it. He seemed to adapt more to the instructions he was given. Mm-hmm. And for example, Oliver Cham did, who's not even in the squad these days. No, no. And we will talk about uh, Oli and Cham because uh, there was a wee glimmer of hope a few weeks ago. I say hope, I'm not sure if that's the right word or terminology when we're talking about Cham. But then he's disappeared off the face of the earth again, Lawrence. I mean, um, when we're talking about McGregor, Natasha, I think last season... You could, you could actually see it in him, in his body language, sometimes in the comments he made after the game. He cut a frustrated figure last season. Mm-hmm. However, during the, the Euros, as much as I would love to see him getting a break, by the way, during the Euros and then during the pre-season games, it does seem as though he's got a new lease of life, doesn't it? I think so, and I think it's absolutely brilliant for Callum to be named captain. It was the only choice, really. He is the most qualified in the squad for the role, and he's certainly been primed for it over the last season, perhaps even longer. Um, I know it's been discussed whether he has the attributes of a captain, and a lot of people think that he doesn't have that presence on the pitch, and he doesn't have the characteristics of the captains that came before him. But we don't know that, you know. We have to listen to the people in the dressing room. We, like you've touched on, we had Tierney coming out in the week saying he was, you know, a natural leader, a natural captain. When David Turnbull was asked at the press conference we attended, um, he was asked, 
in the absence of Scott Brown, who is taking on that leadership role in training, who is pushing the team forward, who is making sure that the standards are maintained at the level that Scott Brown used to maintain them to. And Turnbull was very quick to answer that that was Callum McGregor and he did it while Scott Brown was there and he's just continued to do it. So... Mm-hmm. He was the natural fit for for captain. He is the only choice, and it's good to see that clearly he appears to be committing his future to Celtic. If there was ever a time for him to go and explore other options and to maybe test himself in England, if there was ever going to be a time for that, it's now. He has instead chosen the route of committing his future to Celtic, becoming Celtic captain, which for me is an and for him appears to be an incredible honour, and I think the right choice for him. And it's. It's a great story, isn't it, to see someone come through the through the youth system to come up through the ranks like he did, and to to then become Celtic captain. It's 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 great, and I'm really pleased for him. And in terms of his performances, like you've touched on, I think they're only going to get better under Postecoglou. I think he was frustrated last season, but the whole squad were. You know, it, it would mm. be hard not to be frustrated when you look at what's going on around you and playing the way the team were and trying to drive that forward is, you know, a bit of a thankless task at times, I can imagine. But I think, you know, this feels like a new era. It feels like a fresh start. And I think Callum can thrive under that and can really drive not only himself forward and his own performances forward. I think he can do that for the team and everyone around him as well. I liked some of the words being used um, around uh, the press conference yesterday. Ange called him uh, a natural leader. And the fact, like you said, Natasha, that he knows the traditions and values of the football club. Now, it could have been also different, Lawrence. You know, when you look at the fact that he's, he's one of these guys who's been here since he was a kid. Okay. By the age of 21, he hadn't broken into the Celtic first team. He was loaned out to Notts County and played an absolute blinder. He was winning Player of the Year awards with Notts County. I think he he was a top goal scorer uh, over an 18-month period. And during that period, Celtic actually got uh, an offer for him from... um, uh, It was actually from Cardiff, Cardiff City. And when you look at that that situation that you're in with regards to um, Callum McGregor, it was... Hundreds of thousands of pounds they were offering. It wasn't, sorry, it was Carlisle, not Cardiff. Hundreds of thousands of pounds, not millions of pounds. But he comes back to the club. He eventually breaks in with, uh, under Ronnie Dyler. I think, you know, when I look at it, um, he, he was never going to break in under Neil Lennon and he didn't play his best football last season under Neil Lennon. So what Natasha's saying there, under Ange Postacoglu, newly see life, we're hopefully going to see Callum McGregor, Lawrence, back to the Callum McGregor of old. Well, managers he's done well, Delia and Rogers certainly seem to give a lot of information to the players. You know, and Callum came out after a couple of games last year saying, I didn't know what I might be doing there. Mm. It wasn't clear. So he certainly seems to be a player that thrives under that. You've touched in the Euros, Steve Clark, another manager that gives a lot of information to his players as any you know it's not can't be coincidence that Callum then performs well so hopefully he's the kind of manager that suits him and is going to give him what he needs to perform in the park listen Brown is a legend he's moved on it's maybe going to free Callum up a bit you know to be more attacking because when he was at Notts County yeah you know and, it, and under Rogers he scored a, a barrel load and it seemed to drop off last season so hopefully uh, we we see the return of the Mac to a goal scoring form. Return of the Mac, did you say? Um, he likes the big occasion, Natasha. He's scored in yeah. cup finals. He's, he's performed against Rangers. And he likes a goal in Europe. Um, I was mm-hmm. speaking to George McCluskey. George McCluskey was actually his coach when he was a kid. 
And he used to say that McGregor, when it came to the point of him in front of goal, he would try to put as much force as he could and it ended up going over the bar and wide and all that. And George McCluskey takes credit for that style that he has where it looks almost as if he places the ball with force. Mm-hmm. Uh, McGregor does that so, so well. I'd actually fancy him for a goal tonight. I hope so. Um, I don't mind where the goals come from as long as they're scoring them, but you never put it against Carl Mack in these sort of situations. Like you said, he steps up to the plate in the big games and he does have a habit of popping up with these important goals. And how many goals can you think of from Callum McGregor, usually from you know just outside the box where he pinpoints it into where he wants it to go and hits it with pace and and those are the sorts of goals he scores. If he scores one tonight like that, I'll be delighted. If he scores, you know, a toe poke from six yards, I'll be equally delighted. Well, Lauren says return of the Mac. So um, that'll be one for the Screamer Celica boys tonight, Lawrence. But we are talking about the game. We're talking about McGregor. He'll be the first name on the team sheet. Let's just have a look at some of his figures. 326 appearances now, Natasha. 53 goals, 15 trophies. He really is well and truly on his way uh, to becoming that Scott Brown type figure at Celtic. I remember when Brown made his 500th appearance. He was one of only 12 Celtic players to make 500 or more competitive appearances. He went on to make over 600. Now, the thing is, at 326, McGregor will be almost on 400 by the end of the season, the way that he racks up the performances. <laughs> um, so he's one of these modern players that, you know, you don't see too many of them now. One club man, I know the loan deal um, earlier on in his career, uh, testimonial. I mean, it's one of these things. Every couple of years, Lawrence, you would see a player get a testimonial. During the 80s, quite a few players got testimonials. Uh, moving into the modern era, Jackie McNamara, the next one was Scott Brown. So we've now got two players in the squad and James A. Forrest and Callum McGregor who might be these guys that have played for over 10 years with the same club, which is a, a bit of a dying breed in the modern game. But we're talking about tonight's game. Yesterday, I spoke about my predicted 11. But as I said, I was listening to the um, press conference yesterday and I suppose the Coglu confirmed that anybody who's on that squad list is available for selection. So he was getting asked about Lee Griffiths, he was getting asked about the fitness of James E. Forrest, etc. He says, anyone on that squad list is available for selection. So I've had to kind of look at the, the team that I picked yesterday. So the team I picked yesterday was, in goals, Barkas with Anthony Ralston at right back, near Beaton with a question mark on him, Stephen Welsh, Greg Taylor, McGregor and Sorrow with a question mark on him, Turnbull, Abada, Christie and Edward. But we've since learned, obviously, that Abada won't be available for selection. So I'm going to take the audacious move and bring back James Forrest on the right and continue with Ryan Christie down the left. Lawrence, is there anything within that side that you would change? Yeah, I mean, I, I th- well, I think Angel Pro, I, I don't think it will be beat on. I, I think he might give Hegeld uh, a chance at centre-half. I think he's... He's got a vision, Ange, isn't he? It's about developing a youth for the future. You don't develop him if you don't play him. And I don't think he's a guy that's going to compromise his principles just because it's an important European game. Mm. I think he'll kind of start as he means to go on. You know, we had Jared when we had him on the show saying, look, the first year's all about developing, getting the players playing a style and getting the yeah. team playing a style. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to compromise that. So I could see 
yeah, Hjeld and for Beaton. I've been impressed with Hjeld. Uh, I know you were one of the earliest um, supporters of him on this podcast or this show, Lawrence. Don't you think, though, that Murray has looked more assured if he was going to throw a youngster in at the back? I think Murray's looked really assured no. at the back as well. But Murray's looked good. I just think Hjeld's looked better, but you know, that's kind of it's down to subjective opinion, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but definitely, you know, I don't think Murray's done anything wrong. You'd see there's definitely potential for a player there that perhaps, you know, at the end of last season, we're going, well, where are our centre-halves? You know, who's it going to be? The yell Murray, they're two big guys. You're a bit more confident. Getting into the team earlier has got to help their development, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, definitely. We, we touched on Cal Mark, didn't come in a wee bit late, but at least he was out on loan. Mm-hmm. Where would Welsh be if he'd, he'd got the chance earlier? Instead of beating, playing all these games, and beating's on a fairly big wages. Beaton's been a good servant at the club, but he's he's a bit been a bit of a blocker as well. You know, when you get players on that wages that are yeah. happy to sit there, be second or third choice, and a utility player, it does stop your youth coming through and getting a chance, a game here, two games there, and maybe developing and seeing what we've got. How are you, how are you feeling about Ryan Christie and, and the fact that I would play him? And actually, I'd play him on the left. Uh, I know that he's far more um, kind of noticeable on the right and in the centre, but he has been deployed out left for Celtic in the past most notably under Brennan Rodgers I would play him out there simply because we have no one else I mean Montgomery has done okay but I, I think it's a risk to throw too many youngsters at this I'm going to be surprised when I say I'd have Montgomery there I'd leave uh, Christie out you know he's made his feelings clear he doesn't want to beat Celtic I think Anne just came out and said he's interested in players that want to be there mm. and want to play for the club and unfortunately for Ryan he doesn't fit that bill, does he? So I'd no. be surprised to see him appear for an Ange team, if that's what Ange is coming out and saying. Montgomery's look good. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You know, as friendlies has looked good in. We, we really need to see him, Kenna. Yeah. In a competitive game, he's linked up well with Taylor. He gives us a bit more height as well. Montgomery. So f- for me, yeah, I, I wouldn't be playing Christian. I don't think Angel. I think it is Montgomery. Bold decisions there by Lawrence. Natasha, I'm going to come to you. Obviously, this is just my own predicted 11. Um, Christie, although he is one of the want-away stars, so is Edward, and I'd play Eddie as well because we need to get through this tie. And I just think Christie, as much as I love the sight of a young player coming through, Natasha, you know, and I'd love to see Held and Murray and Montgomery and Moffat all have careers at Celtic. I just don't think tonight's the night. You know, we need to go with that wee bit more experience. People might say it's a cop-out or I'm playing it too safe, but I would go with Beaton at the back and I would go with Christie on the left. I think it's a balance and I expect to see Ange implement some sort of balance as well. Like you guys have touched on, he does seem very keen to bring youth players through and give them experience. Um, Something actually, the women's team manager, Fran Alonso, has talked about, he's very big on giving young players experience. And he said 
that doesn't mean throwing them on for 10 minutes or 20 minutes at the end of the game or playing them in games that are of less importance than other games. It means playing them in the big games when it matters because they're never going to get the experience to play at that level unless you're putting that trust and confidence in them and playing them at that level. And I think that's likely to be a sort of mindset that Postacoglu subscribes to as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if I did see him throw in one or two of the young players for the experience side of it and because he trusts young players, but also coupled with the fact that we're low in numbers and we're low in depth and in some positions it's going to be a necessity. On the Beaton thing, I I slightly come down on the side of the fence that you are, Paul. I think that he is going to go for a bit more experience at the back. Um, it's going to be a big test, bigger than anything that the, some of the younger players are mentioning has faced. And I think he's just going to go with that sort of old pro and beat on to try and shore up the back a bit. But that certainly doesn't mean that he won't be tempted to switch a Christie for a Montgomery or, or, or something like that. So I think we'll see a mix of, of players like Beaton and Christie and the youth like Yeldy and Montgomery and Murray. What balance he strikes and who gets the nod, I think is going to be a very fine line. You know, between like you've touched on between Yeld and Murray, I think if one of them plays, the one that doesn't is is quite rightly to feel, you know, a bit like they've just missed out because they probably have. I think at this stage in the season, you know, places are up for grabs and everybody everybody wants them. But this is an important tie to get through, to try mm. and get through, to try and get a result. We need to put ourselves out there with the best possible chance of getting that result and regrouping after that. And if that means that we have to play players like Christie and Edward simply to get through the tie, sell them on after it and then regroup, then, then I think that that's the position that Postecoglou is more likely to favour. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm not jealous or anything, but when the team is announced, Natasha, you'll be in the stadium. I'll be sitting here in the in the studio. Um, Jai Hamilton, one two, play Eddie off the left if you want. I mean, that's not a bad shout actually, because you mm-hmm. know he can mm-hmm. he can you know play out left. You've seen it a wee bit when he was playing behind Dembele back in the day, back in the good old days when we had Dembele and Eduard um, as well. And uh, the other thing I would I would point out looking at the side is, you know, I'm saying James A. Forrest, he, he was pushed on that subject. Now, you've been in a press conference with Ange Postacoglu, Natasha, and I've been very impressed. He was pushed on the subject of Forrest. He was pushed on the subject of Griffiths. He will only answer the question that he wants to answer. And if he answers it, sometimes it doesn't give you what you've asked for. Um, How impressed have you been? And do you feel that there's been some um, needle in some of his responses? Is he getting a little bit exasperated by some of the questions he's been asked already? Yeah, and do you know what it is? I think he's just very honest. And it's something that I said the minute I came out from that first sort of press conference with him, is that he is a guy, what you see is what you get. He's not going to, you know, sugarcoat anything. He's going to tell you the truth and he's going to be as transparent as he can possibly be. And we're seeing that come through with every press conference that he's doing. I mean, nobody was surprised when he said that Celtic occasionally take too long to get deals over the line, that we stall and hesitate more than he'd like us to. I mean, that's something that we've um, unfortunately known to be accustomed to for years. But here he is coming out and saying it, being honest, expressing his frustrations. And if he's saying that in public, you can only imagine what he's saying behind the scenes about some of the Mm. deals that are taking too long to go through. So hopefully, you know, this new approach from Ange and his general unhappiness at the fact that we take too long to get deals over the line, hopefully his approach is going to come in and change that. And we are going to see us acting a little bit quicker in the transfer market. 
he appreciates it, we all appreciate it, that the world is a very difficult place in terms of visas and isolating and things like that. Of course, it is going to be difficult. But look where we are. Look how long he's been in for. I think we all expected to see a bit more by the way of activity. And I think he expected to see that as well. And he's not going to be the sort of person who sits there and says, yes, I'm happy with the way everything is going. It's all great. The board are backing me. I'm getting players in. If he's got a grievance, he, he seems to be calling it out. And I don't think we can complain about that. I think that's what we we want to see and we want to hear. And we want that sort of transparency from him and the club because I think that's more relatable. The position he put forward of, you know, slight frustration, things he wants to improve, that's something that the fans can relate to. And yeah, like his style and I've been very impressed by him so far. You know, it's uh, interesting that we've not even kicked a competitive ball, Natasha, and he's already shown a wee bit of frustration. Um, but let's talk <laughs> about the, the transfer dealings. I mean, he was saying that the club hesitated a couple of times, Lawrence. Uh, they could move a bit quicker. In the back of my mind, maybe the, the cynical nature of uh, doing a broadcast on Celtic is bringing this out on me. However, I'm wondering if we're stalling until one of the big names is offloaded. Now, we've already spoken about the fact that we're still playing Eddie. We're playing him, obviously, for the better, the betterment of Celtic Football Club because it's bigger than him. Um, but on the flip side of that, Chris Iyer's not in the squad. He's not in the European squad. And you would think that that's edging ever closer, Lawrence, to his departure from Celtic Football Club. Are we in that position where until we dip or toe back in a transfer market, you know, we've heard about Starfelt being almost a done deal. Well, it's not done yet. So are we waiting until Ayer is sold and the money's in the bank? Hopefully not. I mean, we've sold Frimpong, Henry, Klamala. You know, we've brought in some money in transfer fees. So I would hope we wouldn't. I mean, Ayer, if he's not including in the squad, surely it is because the deal's done or else he's completely said, I'm not playing for Celtic again. So it's one of two things, isn't it? And uh, surely we would have learned something. But then again, we've got no head of recruitment. Dom McKay's just in the door when Lange isn't handling the transfers and mm. he's a bit frustrated by it. Who could possibly be giving Dom a, a hand? Is Dom just going to kick off it? I will be phoning Peter for some advice and how do football transfers go? Is going to give me your advice because it seems pretty similar it to does. the pre- previous, I don't know, 19 seasons or something, getting players in late, not in time. And I'm just pointing that out. We knew there was going to be a lag because of COVID. So that means we need to move quicker. It's not rocket science stuff. We know what the quarantine period is. So we, we know it's not as simple as deals done, get it on a plane. Absolutely. So you just do it sooner, don't you? Yeah, you, you need to move faster. Because mm-hmm. you, you, you know what the time delay is. Uh, for whatever reason, Celtic haven't done that. Uh, I think all Celtic fans have appreciated the honesty from the manager. Uh, although I'm not too sure Celtic did because it was hard to find some of the clips in their social media. But listen, we've got a manager that's been honest with us in terms of the way things are and I think yeah. he's already got frustrations that we've had for about 20 years. So, you know, not getting players in in time for the Champions League qualifiers is one of the big ones, isn't it? Well, you know, a few a few months ago, Natasha, we started talking on a Celtic state of mind about the back four being Ralston, Taylor, Welsh and Beaton. Now, it was partly in jest, partly tongue-in-cheek, um, but it's come home to roost because, see, tonight, that's probably our strongest defence. Now, mm-hmm. then it begs the question, going back to some of the points uh, that Lawrence was making there, it begs the question about if we're not prepared, then 
What are we doing when it comes to approaching European football, Natasha? Are we taking it as a football club seriously enough? Now, as a fan, and sometimes you can get uh, a little bit you know, to the point where your optimism runs away with you. You look at the traditions and the history of the club. I've always considered Celtic as being a club with a unique European heritage. And Kevin Graham always brings me back down to earth and say, listen, at best we're a Europa League club. As a club, are we now looking upon the Champions League as being a bridge too far? I mean, yes, we've had a transitional period. We're still going through that transition. But surely we could have been better prepared for tonight's game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, are we more of a European Europa League club? I still don't want to. I don't want to say yes to that. I still think that we should and could be competing in the group stages every year. I don't think that is out with the realms of possibility. I'm not denying it's hard, partly to the pathway that's put before us and the various hurdles we've got to get get over. Of course, it's going to be difficult, but I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be competing in the group stages at least the majority of the time. But what we fail to do is properly prepare ourselves for the challenge and those hurdles that I've mentioned to get to that level. These games always just seem to come far too quickly for us. And you know what? They come at the same time every year. So why is it such a surprise when they come round that they're here already and we're not ready for them? So, It is frustrating because it always seems to be this gamble that the club play with these fixtures and it's a gamble with the qualifier. And recently in the last, you know, three, four, five years, it's it's starting to pay off less and less and less. It's that old, you know, speculate to accumulate, get the players in early, get that quality in early, make sure that you qualify and then you recover that money by getting into the group stage. You don't wait to see if you get there before then spending the money you need to compete there. To me, it's done the wrong way around. To me, I'd like to see us spend that money and make sure we get into the group stages and get the money that comes with that. And by doing that regularly every season, if you can say that, you know, for the majority of the time, we will be playing in the group stages, you start to attract those players as well that want to be playing there. And yeah. that, if you're starting to do that, if you're starting to prioritise being a group stage Champions League team, then, you know, the league starts to, I'm not going to say it takes care of itself, but you're putting yourself as a team at that level, a team who can compete with those teams in the group stages, attracting the players that are associated with that, then naturally your performances in the league are going to go up as well. I might be being overly optimistic here. People will come and tell me that you know we're not that level of squad anymore, but there's no reason that we can't be. There's absolutely no reason that we can't be, and it's frustrating that the club don't seem to match that ambition to make sure that we are. Well, you know, some of these clubs, Natasha, you come into um, contact with them in European football and, you know, then they start hanging around the Champions League beyond Celtic. You know, I've noticed that we've got a few clubs over the years. And I remember when we signed Morten Rasmussen. Remember him? They called him Big Duncan. And uh, I've got to admit, my my knowledge of the, the Danish domestic game wasn't brilliant at the time. So when we signed Rasmussen, that was probably the first time that I became aware of this football club. And when you look at the honours that they've had, uh, they've won three uh, Super Leagues in in Denmark, uh, one First Division and one Danish Cup. It's quite clear that they haven't got 30, 40, 50 years of trophy-laden success behind them. They don't have the European nows you know, over a 30-year period. But these teams seem to be able to work it out quicker than Celtic. So they, they come to the party over the last, you know, let's say, decade, 
but they work it out a lot quicker than we do, Lawrence. So we continually make the same mistakes. A club like Mitchelland, who are probably going into the tonight's game, I've not seen the odds, but they're probably going into tonight's game as, as the favourites to get through this. And you wonder how on earth that can happen when it's a club that's fairly new to this, this kind of level. It's pretty basic. You need two starters for every position, don't you? Um, I don't know who's sitting down with pencil and right. How many right-backs we've got at the club? Right, we've got a bit of an issue here. So, I, I think a lot of the clubs run as basic as that. And maybe they'll do what Ange's done, you know, if the players are, are good enough, because this was his pitch to the squad. If you're good enough and you do what you tell me, you're in. It doesn't matter of your age. So, it's going to be interesting tonight's team to see how much of that he follows through on. The way Celtic's doing it, I mean, you touched on, are we hanging back to get big money before we buy players? I mean, that's kind of a double-edged sword because surely the, the buying clubs then put up the price. If you just sell Eddie for £20 million and Aya for 15 they know you've got £35 million in the bank. Mm. Does that push the price up? I mean, there's rumours that say, said they'd said to a club and a winger, hang off and if we qualify for the Champions League, we'll pay you an extra million. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's something we don't do right gamble, now, is it? isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. See the thing though, Lawrence, you made a, a point earlier about you know the, the Frimpong money, for example. Yes, Elhamid's left and Hendry's left and, and Bio. But I don't think under the circumstances that the transfer fees have been ring fenced at Celtic or at any club because uh, obviously revenues have been hit elsewhere. We were not ring fencing, but surely not spent at all. I mean, we're not one of the clubs that uh, I think we've got a good credit rating. So buyers generally wouldn't ask us to pay it all up front. We're going to pay it over three years normally, isn't it? So, at some point, we've got to go, well, what's prudent here to, to gamble absolutely nothing at all? You know, I know a few years back, it was said we didn't need European revenue to run as a football club. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you've touched on it. Maybe that means that we don't have European ambitions because we don't need that revenue. Maybe there's a mindset developed in the club and went, oh, well, that's just, that's just a nice wee bonus. If we get there, we get there. If we don't, you know, we've got a business as usual plan, which for me is not really good enough. No. You know, it's... You know, my biggest concern with that, Lawrence, right? And this this goes back, I think, to always just being a hair ahead of Rangers, right? So it's, it's really looking at a domestic level, Natasha. But, you know, the problem with that, Rangers aren't thinking like that. Rangers are progressing in Europe. They've had two good campaigns over the last two years. I don't know, obviously, how this season is going to pan out. But if we're not thinking like that and Rangers are, and they continually bring in the, the revenue that that competition can offer, then actually it's a terrible business decision if that if that's the way Celtic are now looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just simple business, isn't it? You can't possibly afford to let them run ahead with the the finances that are associated with European football if they think that we they can do both at the same time and we think that European success is a bonus, there's just a discrepancy there and a mismatch. I don't think that Celtic should treat European success as a bonus. I think that it should be an essential for our club of our size and our resources every season to compete well in Europe. Um, what compete well actually translates to, you know, depends for me, like I said, I think that means getting to the Champions League group stages, a good run in the Europa League. There's absolutely no reason that we shouldn't be able to do that at the same time as having a successful league campaign, a successful domestic campaign. We've done it in the past. It's becoming less and less common that we do it now. And there's no reason for it. We've got the resources. We should have the depth of squad and the ability to compete successfully in in both competitions. Why we're not doing that 
is a concern because the revenue stream from that European aspect is so much higher than it is from our domestic football. So we need to be looking at that. Of course, of course, the league is our priority. But coming back to what I said, if we really focus on the the European side of things and the money that's associated with that, we're then using that to build a squad which is more than capable of winning the league. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's looking at how one can complement the other and how you need both to have a successful business model. Before I move on to some of the other hot topics, Natasha, what is your plans? What are your plans for this evening going back to the game? Talk us through it. I'm going to head through um, with my dad, you know, quite sharp, get to Celtic Park in the sunshine. Um, It's been a long time since we, me and my dad were at a football game together. Um, Like we're saying, it's been, what, March? March against St Mirren. Um, Yeah. It feels like like forever, but I'm sure when we're back, it'll feel like two minutes. Um, Get into the stadium nice and early, maybe partake of one or two drinks on the way, um, and then... And then go out and, and watch the game in the sunshine. And if we're continuing with the plan, the plan is to to watch Celtic get an early goal and then go into a comfortable victory. That probably yeah. will depend on how many drinks I've had, whether I'm optimistic about that or not. But yeah, why not? Let's hope that that's the case. We're all happy for you, Natasha. We're not jealous in any way, shape, or form. I feel that. I definitely, definitely feel the happiness for me and, and no jealousy. Yeah, I, the ballot worked in my favour this time, so I was delighted. Good on you. Now, Jock McCroyf, uh, we don't have European ambitions, that's glaringly obvious. When you look at the, the the way that we fail to prepare for these big games year on year, then it's difficult to actually argue with, with, with Jock McCroyf. Um, now, it, as a fan who's maybe uh, got his head in the clouds, I, I fail to accept that as a Celtic supporter. I don't think we could ever write off uh, Europe. It's something that, as you said, you know, we've seen during this lockdown more than ever that you cannot have a business plan, Lawrence, which relies so heavily on season ticket sales because it was only through, you know, the the dedication and the loyalty of the Celtic fan base that we are not staring down the barrel of a financial minefield at this moment in time. Had the Celtic fans not come out in their tens of thousands last season and this season, uh, with no guarantee as to when we're getting back into the ground and bought the season tickets or renewed the season tickets, then Celtic would have been in financial peril. So surely that's as much a reason as ever to say, well, you know, we can't put all our eggs in that basket. We need to really focus on Champions League success. Where does your biggest income come from? Celtic's tickets at the moment. As you said, it's all in one basket, so we need to... Where's the other big pot? Champions League. Mm. You know, and it's funny because we prepared... <laughs> We bought disco lights so as we looked good when we got to Europe. So they're prepared to spend money on lights, but I just think of bio. See, every time you mention it, I just think of bio with the lights. You know, when they they shone on him, he was on the spotlight, wasn't he? But they're not prepared to pay money for the players to get us there, but they'll pay money up front for lights for when we get. It's a crazy decision for a football club. Mm. You know, disco lights as good as they look doesn't look as good as you know a top quality player scoring a Champions League for us. No. Uh, and that's really appear to the, the, the trouble. Hopefully that changes with Dom and the new head of recruitment, whoever it's going to be, and the new head of the football department, if we're still looking for that. Who knows? It's you know, it's two key positions that have went unfilled for quite some time. I wanted to speak about it and I definitely will come back to it, but there's another point we need to speak about the, the elephant in the room before we get to that, Lawrence. Uh, but before I speak about the elephant in the room, vital Celtic news, Celtic fans have never written off Europe, the board have. 
100% agree with that. Um, let's talk about Lee Griffiths again, Natasha. Again, we're talking about Lee Griffiths. Um, bottom line is, the club have put him back in the squad. and Well, they've put him back on a training ground. Ange Postacoglu has basically says he's available for selection and I'm just treating him as another player. So it's almost as if everything that's happened has been washed over. He's back in the squad. I mean, it's, it's the type of thing that doesn't sit right with me uh, when it comes to Lee Griffiths. And I've been one of his biggest supporters for everything that he's done and everything he's done wrong and uh, various parts of that that weren't his fault. And sometimes that's difficult to see through when it comes to Lee Griffiths. Last week, I just thought, ah, the time's up. It's time to go. It's time to go, Lee. Um, yet, he's in the squad. He's available for selection. How, how, how do you feel about that, Natasha, first of all? Frustrating. I, I think if we were to have a discussion about the complexities of what's going on with Lee Griffiths and what's right and what's wrong, whether he should be in the squad or if he should be in the squad or whether we should have used this opportunity to get rid of him or shouldn't, we could be here for hours. We could be here mm. for hours. It's not black and white. There's various shades of grey throughout this whole thing. Um, and it's very difficult to, to you know, cause us one way or the other. And I know I sound like I'm sitting on the fence there, but it is one of these things that is, is complex. For me, I might have taken the opportunity for him to move on. Mm. It's frustrating how often we are talking about Lee Griffiths and how little of it is about football. And for me when it gets to that stage it's the player isn't doing anything helpful for the club and it's bringing the name into disrepute and it's perhaps time to, to move him on for his own sake and for the club's sake as well I think now is the time to do that he has been brought back into the squad clearly it's interesting that Postacoglu has distanced himself somewhat from that decision he yeah. says that it wasn't his decision but that he's in the squad and he's available for selection I think we'll understand more about Postacoglu's position on it when when we start to see the squads being picked um, mm-hmm. if Griffiths is not appearing in the squad or on the bench or even on the pitch then I think we'll we'll see what the intentions are there and perhaps there is a skill of thought that he will be moved on but will remain in the squad until that happens Um the fact that it wasn't Postacoglu's decision is somewhat interesting. He does seem to sort of wash his hands of this one and taking a step back and saying it was decided for me. My thought there is, you know, if Postacoglu isn't making this decision or is appearing to have absolutely no influence in this decision, you know, whose decision was it? Mm. Who is making those sorts of decisions and why isn't Ange involved in them? But I think Griffiths' future will become more apparent as we start to see the squad lists over the next games or two or three or four. Definitely. I'm going to throw this one over to you, Lawrence. Um, on the one hand, Ange Postecoglou is talking about Callum McGregor. He's talking about the traditions and the values of Celtic Football Club. Um, it's not really in keeping with the values of Celtic, is it? Really, you know, keeping well, Lee Griffiths on as a player. What the William Ailey say is, you know, a man has to be a sell both on and off the park, or if he's not no use to the club. Yeah, I, I don't know the employment law. Maybe Natasha's better place to speak about that to me but for me I just can't believe he's got a future at the club so mm-hmm. maybe they'll just come through some things in the background hopefully before getting rid of him because yeah for me he, sh- he just shouldn't be there no. the, you know like you I was a supporter of him but yeah his time's up as far as I'm concerned and hopefully I don't ever see him play for Celtic again it's raised quite a few uh, questions, though. I mean, Natasha talks about the fact that we've got a manager in here. We know that the manager doesn't make every decision at a football club. Of course, we'd realise that. 
But this is a player that's going to be available for selection by this manager, so surely he should have a say in it. Um, but yeah, there was a bit of ambiguity about it. But going back to something you said, Lawrence, about this structure, um, the restructure, a director of football, a head of recruitment, quite frankly, Natasha, I've not seen any of this. Now, it's frustrating when we get into a situation where we promise Eddie Howe the world he gets carte blanche on the people he brings in and the club, what it pains to stress, that included his director of football. We then bring Ange Postacoglu in after 106 days and he doesn't get to make any of these decisions or choices. And it actually lends me to, to wonder how long-term the appointment is if we're not putting the structure in place to suit the manager. Yeah, I mean, you look at Mackay's first press conference and he seemed to suggest that what they were doing was looking at the football structures of various successful clubs across the UK and across Europe and that he wanted to learn from those and, you know, implement our own structure and make sure of whatever he said, that we were the best of the best and that we were leading in this and that he wanted to take his time, make sure that we emulated the right structure and got the people into those roles once those roles were defined. So it sounded like that was all happening. Since then, nothing has happened. That structure hasn't been put in place. And we've been hearing for weeks, if not months, about the modernisation of football operations and the new roles being created and things like that. Why is that not happening? Why is there no update on that? Why has it all went silent? And why have we decided from one minute that it was necessary and that we were going to be world leading in this to a couple of months down the line? Apparently, we're not going to do anything. There is going to be no change to the football operations. You know, to be honest, we don't even know who our assistant manager is. It appears that Kennedy and Strachan are definitely staying around in some capacity. It's never been confirmed to us if that's manager or assistant manager, if it's first team coach, if there's anyone else coming in. All these possibilities which were openly discussed when Andrew was first appointed seem to have went by the wayside. And it seems that all we are doing is replacing Neil Lennon with and Postacoglu and Dominic Mackay with Peter Lawwell. So there is absolutely no change to the structure. It's just a change in personnel, which is a bit strange, really. Does it worry you, Lawrence, that that is the case? Because, I mean, you're, you're spot on, Natasha. It's basically to, from the outside looking in, I've got to say, I mean, there might be a big announcement in three days' time which shows that there's been loads of planning and, and restructuring going on behind the scenes. Well, from the outside looking in, it just looks as though two positions have been filled, they've been replaced. So, Peter Lowell with Don Mackay, and of course, Neil Lennon with Ange Postacoglu. But when you look at that, Lawrence, uh, as a supporter, it just looks like it's the exact same structure, the same recruitment model as well, other than one signing. I think no one is going to argue that uh, Postacoglu had um, quite a bit to say in uh, Furuhashi coming to Celtic. But other than that, it seems like the same recruitment policy, the whole model is just continuing as is. Or are we hoping for too much too quickly? The, the issue I've got is it was all going to get torn up and, and uh, restructured for Eddie Howe, but it isn't for Ange. Almost the same, although they don't have a head of recruitment. The, 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 there's a problem the way they... Well, everybody knows there's, there's numerous problems with the way the Howe process was run. But anyone else you were speaking to at that time knows that they weren't first choice. That goes for your head of recruitment, your head of football. So they might have looked elsewhere and went, you know what, I'm not second best, I don't want to come. So it may be starting from the beginning on the whole process. But, you know, it's, it's done a huge amount of damage. Mm. Whether they're going to change it or not, maybe they've said to you, Angela, what is it you want? 
and maybe he, he, he's wanting time. Jared's told us he's a guy that likes to have the first season to play with. <laughs> you know, don't expect anything. Uh, well, that's going to be good enough for uh, Celtic fans at the end of the first season. Who knows? But it's certainly a worry that the investment doesn't be appear to get made in the football side of things. Maybe Dom's in in July and he wants a, a chance to assess it. He's in the, just in the building. He's going, oh, no, I want to run things separately. Because mm-hmm. you know what? The last people that ran the how recruitment structure, that was all over the place. I don't want them anywhere near this. So he, maybe he's having to start it from scratch. But we're three weeks in. You'd think we're an attractive proposition to people out there. Yeah. You tend to take hands long to agree. So who have we, who have we identified on the recruitment side? Because, you know, it's kind of important that you do the recruitment when the transfer window's open. Mm. <laughs> We're eating into a lot of that. Is it ahead of football? Is it not? If it's not, surely they would have communicated that to us. You know, it's it's all right having Ange make top sessions and giving us a wee insight into training and inviting us along to press conference and that, but it's structural in the clubs, isn't it? This is what we we're going to do, and everybody's left wondering, are we still going to change or are we not going to change? could be quite as simple as saying, look, Ange doesn't want a head of football. He's happy to run X, Y and Z and I'll be running the rest of it. And we're still looking for a head of recruitment. Mm. One thing I noticed was when he was asked, it might have been yourself that uh, asked him the question, Natasha, uh, around the involvement in football. I remember, you know, when you looked at Peter Lowell being appointed at Celtic, it was all non-football matters that he was to take care of. Um, when pushed on Don McKay's exact role, Don conceded that he would be involved in football matters, business mm. matters and charitable matters and everything else that uh, the club entails. Um, to be honest with you, I don't think there's a, an issue with that because I think that uh, the involvement we had previous began uh, to get stale. It wasn't working. We weren't able to pinpoint a player for two or three million quid and make £10 million pounds on him. That stopped working for Celtic and I just don't think we reacted quickly enough to that. My biggest concern now is the types of players who are being linked to Celtic or those coming in other than Furuhashi are very much the exact same type of player I would expect previously. So we're bringing a 19-year-old Israeli um, who, by the way, I think looks great, looks like a cracking addition to the squad, but he's very much the same type of player I would have expected to sign two or three years ago. It's the same model, isn't it? I think, I think that's it. I think that Mackay is going to be heavily involved in a lot of the decisions. I think that the decision on Griffiths is very likely to have been his. And I think he's probably likely to come into a bit of criticism for that because ultimately I think we're all agreed that that is the wrong decision, that he should have been moved on. I don't mm. think there's any disagreement over that. Just to circle back on that point, he should have been moved on. Talking about the sort of players that we're looking to bring in, I think I think the thing is that Celtic are going to have a database. They're going to have had a scouting department. I know that might be hard to believe, but we will have had a scouting department who have a database of players who we will constantly be recruiting, keeping an eye on, monitoring. That's you know, you don't just disregard that scouting. Um, reports in the system and the database of players that we have, you don't just just disregard that when a new manager comes in. He gets to have a look at it. Likely the new CEO gets to have a look at it as well. There's no point just disregarding all the work done by the previous setup. If there is any gems in there that they want to uncover and use, then that's great and they can supplement it with their own knowledge like Angie's done of the Japanese league. What I would say is that we do tend to be focusing in on the same players, but is that not just is that not just the media? 
is there any truth to the rumour that we're back into to Fraser Forster? That could just be media speculation and that every transfer window for the rest of time until they retire, we are going to be linked to Fraser Forster and Patrick Roberts on loan moves. That could absolutely all be media talk. For me, if Foster Coglu had wanted to replace his goalkeeper, he would have gone out and got Matt Ryan. You know, Matt Ryan sounded like he wanted to come or that he certainly would have been interested in a move. I think Postacoglu has taken his time to look at Barkas and decided that Barkas is his number one and Matt Ryan has then moved on somewhere else. So I think if we wanted to, to replace the goalkeeper, it wouldn't have been Fraser Forster. So perhaps that's just media speculation. Um, and I think that we are likely to see Ange go back into the market that he knows um, and start to you know, try and attract players from there. And it's, it's something I would welcome. Like mm-hmm. we've touched on, we can't keep doing the same thing and trying to, you know, replicate the same practices and the same signings of previous years and expect different results. We need to try something new. And if that's using Angie's new and different networks, if it's using different markets, then that's certainly something I would welcome. So hopefully we'll see more of that. Players like Kyogo definitely keen to see us assigning even the Israeli player that you touched on. I think I'm definitely keen to see us signing more of that type of player and maybe a wee bit less linked with players like Forster and Patrick Roberts, you know, and saying that Forster wouldn't have been a bad addition to the, to the team. I'm absolutely not saying that if Forster was to come, I wouldn't take him back in a heartbeat. I think I absolutely would. I think he's a superior keeper to Barkas and I think that'd be a great move for us. What I am saying though is that I don't think that Celtic are looking at him. I think that is tends to be more more media talk. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing about Barkas is I, I get the feeling uh, going through the, the pre-season games and also the, the shape of Postagoglu's side, the fact that he does like the goalkeeper to be playing quite high up at the pitch, I actually think he's going to he's gonna give Barkas a run. Um, I don't think that the goalkeeper's going to be the priority in Angie's mind. Uh, the rest of the defence certainly is. Joy Division comes on, I think he agrees with a lot of uh, us. Celtic uh, won't get rid of him. So they will get rid of him, but won't be willing to pay him off money before morals. So there's an interesting take on Lee Griffiths as well. Now, you mentioned John Kennedy. Like you say, there's not been that official tweet or the official media release to say that Kennedy and Strachan and McManus and Stevie Woods are part of the backroom team. We've just the surmise that they are. But we will all remember the big night that when Kennedy played so, so well as a young man against Barcelona. We also saw against um, Barcelona David Marshall playing a, a blinder in goals for it can often happen. Um, who's going to be our hero tonight, Natasha? Good question. Very good question. I, oh, do you know, I wouldn't put it past Barkas. He's looking in okay form. He's making some. He's making some saves. So that's a step in the right direction. I wonder if he's going to thrive under a new manager. I expect a lot of shots on targets, given the. Um, the way that our defence is shaping up, as we discussed earlier in the show, I think Barkas is going to be called into action a lot. And you know what? Why why not put some faith in him to, to pull us out of a hole on certain occasions? I absolutely think that he could have a good performance tonight. And another one that I'm looking forward to seeing is Turnbull. Again, we all spoke of him very highly last season. It's clear that he was, you know, a bit of a shining light in an otherwise very dark season. And I'm looking forward to seeing him take that form from last season, use his experience of being away with the Scotland squad and really kick start into being a key, key player for us this season. And there's no reason, again, why he can't start that from tonight. 
a wee prediction for you as well before we go over to Lawrence, Natasha. Oh, I'm not. I'm going to have to go for the Celtic win. Um, it'll be tight. I think there'll be. I think there'll be both teams to score. Let's say Celtic allege it, and I'll go two on Celtic. Two on Celtic. Of course, no away goals. Uh, we used to talk about games like Partizan Belgrade, Lawrence. We don't have to worry about that uh, because the away goals rule has been scrapped. Who are you looking for tonight to make a name for himself or be the hero for Celtic? I'm going to go with someone we've not put in the starting line. I think we're about half an hour ago we'll see on Moffat coming on. And I think he'll light the place up. And I think he's really going to make a name for himself. He's already get people, you know, excited after what we've seen him in pre-season. Yeah. And for philosophy, if you do it going apart, you do what you're told and you perform well. Yeah. He's going to give you a chance. So I, I can see him coming on. And I think he'll light the place up. And yeah, I'm going to go with 2-1 for Celtic as well. Mm-hmm. But, but, but going back to the, the kind of transfers we're getting in, I think these are the kind of transfers we'll expect under a manager like Postacoglu who gives youth, youth a chance and develops players. Yeah, yeah. I think that's part of the reason it didn't work with the previous manager because he didn't have the reputation for, certainly nothing like Postacoglu is, of giving young players a chance and developing them. Mm-hmm. So we were stockpiling players that, in a large part, you would kind of go, well, did we really get a chance? And I don't think we could say that they did. You know, we don't know what's happened with Shred. You know, he's going to turn 24. He's been two, three seasons now. It's just two seasons, isn't it, as he started? It's gone off the radar, hasn't it? Aye. So I think we've now got a manager who would suit that recruitment policy better. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, if you listen to Jared, he takes a year to deliver on it. You keep your in that, Lawrence. It's not, it's not doing my mood any, any good, unfortunately. <laughs> Listen, if that's his track record and he takes a year and delivers another decade of dominance or so, I think we'd all be happy. It'd be a painful year, but surely nowhere near as painful as last year. Well, here's hoping. Here's hoping, Lawrence. Uh, tonight, I'm going to say uh, Stephen Welsh will star. I think that he doesn't get anywhere near as much credit as he's due. I think he's a solid centre-half for us during difficult times last season and I hope, I'm hoping that he gets a steady partner and somebody behind him that he can trust uh, this season as well. Just a wee reminder, we will be covering the game. Unlike Natasha, we'll be in the studio watching it. Natasha, I hope you enjoy that game in person. Uh, quarter past seven, we will be on the airwaves. But before that, at half past six, the boys at Screamer Selica, Kevin and Boise, will be giving you an Urban Hymn special, seeing as we have a prize giveaway. All you need to do is subscribe to us on YouTube and you'll be put into a monthly prize draw, not just this month, but this month's prize is a platinum disc for Urban Hymn's fantastic album by The Verve. So they'll be speaking all about that. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved on uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter and Facebook. And also thank you to Lawrence Conley and Natasha Mikkel for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Message and data rates may apply.
Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.